Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome, friends. Thank you for engaging, and you are going to be so glad that you joined us today. This is uh, the first time I've had my bride with me, Elizabeth, on the broadcast, and we also are going to be visiting with Ben and Lindley Mandrell, and I'm uh, super excited to share some different things from family to ministry to struggles, and let's be honest, the most important people that are on the broadcast today are Lindley and Elizabeth, so let's just give a shout out to them. We're so glad that you all are with us. Uh, so let me do a little intro here for the two people in the nation who may not know who they are. Uh, ben is the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources, and Ben and his wife, Lindley, have served in both the established church environment and church plant. So before coming to Lifeway in 2019, Ben pastored uh, a church plant, Storyline Fellowship in Denver, and actually uh, our church in Halton was one of the partner churches that helped with that. And Lindley also served as director of children's ministries there at the church. Now, they are co-hosting a podcast now that is fantastic, and we want to recommend that to you. It's called The Glass House. We'll talk a little more about that in just a moment. And that's where they're having some transparent conversations with pastors and spouses about challenges of living in the public uh, eye of church life. Now, Ben and Lindley live outside of Nashville, Tennessee. They've got four teenagers. Let me say that again, four <laughs> teenagers. And uh, super excited just to hear about what's going on with that. So Ben, Lindley, Elizabeth, welcome to the Georgia Baptist Discipleship family. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to, to talk with you and I'm glad you joined us. And before we jump into that, let me just give a reminder to our audience that our team has a pile of resources. You guys know we love giving things away. So make sure that you leave a comment and you'll get entered into a drawing. And now if you share the link, you'll get double entry into the drawing, an extra helping of candy corn coated with nerds when you get to heaven, if you do that. And if you missed the full discussion, you'll get to listen afterwards in YouTube, Instagram, all podcast platforms, and you can view it right here on Georgia Baptist Discipleship Facebook group. All right. So Dan, Lindley, what in the world? Tell me about some four teenagers living in the house. Yes. Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Uber driver for, yeah. for a living. So is Lindley. We, yeah. we talk at night after we've driven for two or three hours back and forth from places. Yeah, yeah. So our kids are all four 48 months apart. And we thought when they were little that we were really tired. But what we didn't know then is that when they all went to bed at 730 and we had our evening spree, that was so nice. Because now, I mean, you know how it is. They're eighth, ninth, tenth and twelfth grade and they're up late and they want to talk late. And we're not late night people. So it's it's a struggle, but we, I mean, there it's great. Like we've really enjoyed this season. You know, it's hard when you hear people just talk about teenagers as if it's a 
a struggle and it can be in some ways, but it's also just a real fun season with them. I know that um, one of the things we're going to talk about today is just leadership principles. And one of ours is the conversation is the relationship. Mm. That's a really great principle in, in leadership. The quality of the conversation is the quality of the relationship. And I think we would both say the, the conversations we're having with our four kids now are far better than any we've ever had because they're asking themselves some of the biggest questions in life. So that's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's rich. That's rich. Uh, gold nugget number one. Ben's already dropped it. All right. All right. So let's hey, let's talk personal real for just a moment. How did you guys meet? And is there sort of story behind the two of you getting married? How you asked her anything cool there? We met at Canacut camps. We were on staff together. I always say she was there because she was a phenomenal athlete. I was there because I had a personality uh, <laughs> because they put me on skit team and I was doing ah. skits. Lindley was teaching oh. tennis. And uh, we, we were uh, a fast and furious romance. We got married one year after the day we met, basically. After we dated long distance. So I was still in college and he in Arkansas and he was living in Orlando. So we dated long distance for that 12 months and then got married, you know, pretty quickly. I went to work at that camp to find a wife and I achieved my goal. There you go. Hey, rain by spring or your money back. <laughs> There you go. Well, Elizabeth and I, we, uh, ours is kind of a crazy story too. I asked her to marry me on top of a billboard in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana. It said, yeah. Elizabeth Ann Harris, I love you. Will you marry me? Wow. That's, that's like something out of a country music song. See, we don't oh. have the same story. <laughs> when he yeah. asked me to marry him, my, my parents said no. Yeah. So we have a, <laughs> yeah, that was bad. A little bit of a different story, but that's because I was still in school and we, you know, had these dreams of uh, me quitting school and going to live in Orlando. And my parents just said, um, you Slow guys down. can get married, but you, you need to finish school in the process. So, and they were right. Looking back now, they were right. And that's what parents do. They look out for us for sure. Right. right. Awesome. Well, um, you guys, we have found for ourselves, um, with our boys, just constantly being involved in activities and feeling like those Uber drivers for them that Finding the time to actually be able to spend quality time with them is super important for our family's health, for our sanity. Um, So how do you guys make that a priority in your family? And then also when you have a family devotional, what does that look like at the Mandrell house? Yeah. So I um, used to be, you know, before our children are older, much more judgmental of families of how they do things. And um, because we all are until we really are in that process. And um, so we are super fluid and flexible with how we do things because we have to be, I mean, every season provides a different, you know, somebody's at a different sport or things like that. But the one thing that we have done in these pa- this past year that's worked really well for us is that we call it our closer. And so when you're talking about devotionals, I mean, our kids, Two of them are driving, two of them have jobs, some are in different sports. And so they're gone at different times in the afternoon. We don't even dinner time, you know, used to, that's what I was judgmental about. I was like, how do you not have dinner together? Well, now I know how you don't have dinner together because it's really hard. But so at the end of the day on our group family text, you know, we'll say, hey, closer at 945. And so we'll just come together and they just know that closer is when we all come together and talk for at least 15 to 20 minutes about what happened that day, um, a devotional thought. Um, we have this feeling wheel, you know, sometimes because three of our teenagers are boys um, who are, you know, really great with expressing feelings. And so we'll say, <laughs> you know, you have, because we'll say, you know, how's your day? Oh, it's good. 
Um, so we we have this wheel sometimes, and of course we don't overuse it, but sometimes we say, you know, pick pick one of these things and tell us a story about that day. So, I mean. Yeah, I think it's amazingly unimpressive the way we do it, actually. <laughs> uh, and I've become suspicious of anybody who has teenagers who has a, a really good structure because yeah. it really is a challenge. I think the name of the game is flexibility. And I think, uh, honestly, they're not listening until they're ready to listen. And a lot of parenting we're discovering is waiting for that moment when they are teachable and something has happened that has broke their heart yeah. or caused them great angst. Those are the moments you got to be there and really capitalize on those moments. Like our daughter right now, she's trying to figure out where she wants to go to college. And it, it's like a huge decision for her. And all of a sudden she's listening to guidance about future stuff because she's mm -hmm. making a big decision in her life and she needs help. So I yeah. think. I think that we have found also devotionally is us, you know, with the glass house, and I know we'll get into that later, but us talking with the kids about what we're struggling with, what we're doing, like what we're going through in counseling, like that's been our greatest discipleship tool, tool with them. Um, because, and we just keep saying that we, we say, Hey, Lord willing, you're all going to be married someday and you're going to have struggles. And so we don't want you to believe that we have this perfect marriage so that when you start fighting with your spouse, you're like, what's going on? Because my parents didn't fight. So, you know, that is one of the things too, that we really have just tried to use is, you know, our bad experiences sometimes to help them grow through their, mm -hmm. their discipleship. It's good. So that means that you guys have those moments of intense discussion like we do. <laughs> Our pastor, we're all fighting um, moments of intense discussion. I really like that. I really like that. Moments <laughs> of intense discussion. That's, yes. a, that's a really spiritual way of, of saying that. That's good. And just kind of personal story witness. If you ever want to really jump into the one of those, try and build an outdoor fire pit with your wife. <laughs> that's what we're doing right now. We <clears throat> One of us felt like it was a good idea for us to have a family project and build an outdoor fireplace. Heather. Okay. So we're, we're jumping, we're trying that, you know, yeah, well, kids, like, you know, love your neighbor, be kind to your brother. And then you turn around and you yell at your wife. We yell at each other. We're like, Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're, we've got a rhythm too. And I, that's what I've always said is blessed with the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. That, <laughs> that, that whole idea of the family devotion, I think it's huge for us, but we've had to do the same thing. And like our 11 year old, he has football practice at 11 years old and he doesn't get home till like nine 30, three nights a week. You know, um, so Elizabeth has begun something on in the morning time in our drive just to maximize when you can. Right. So we have a captive audience. I have a captive audience um, dropping my kids off. We have a 20 minute drive to school. And so we get in the car, you know, get going and we um, open up the Bible app and I have my boys, they alternate and we just pull up the scripture of the day. I've kind of previewed it just to make sure it's applicable to them and something they can understand. But um we talk through whatever scripture that's on the Bible app, the daily verse. And um, I go through and have them, okay, boys, what does this word mean? And how does this play out at your elementary school? And so we come up with real life situations and how you would respond. And I agree with you, Lindley. I never want my boys to think, to grow up thinking that their mama thought she was perfect. Yeah. Um, I want my kids to know that I'm real and I have real struggles. Um, and so we definitely use humility as we share our own struggles, but it helps them understand as a Christian, you're going to struggle, 
Um, but God is the one that gives you the victory. Um, and so we just really utilize that captive audience on the drive to school. Yeah. And Ben, I would say just as a word of encouragement, you know, your team that does the life where research and always throwing out stats and um, things like that. You know, one of the that's been out there for probably a decade just talked about how little adults and even particularly our kids cannot verbalize their faith. So we've just kind of taken the stance of, you know, we're not going to read, just read scripture over them or just pray for them. We want our kids to be able to pray out loud and we want them to be able to verbalize their faith. So, man, that's just really good. Now, uh, let's turn the page on this discussion and let's jump into the Glass House podcast, because I know you guys are having some really candid conversations and I'm, I'm a subscriber. I'm listening to it. I'm paying attention to those conversations that you're having and they're, they're real life struggles for people that are in the public eye, that pastor, that leader. So tell us how you got the name and, and what's really the goal of the podcast that you guys have started. Go ahead. Well, the goal, so just my personality, I have a heart for the underrepresented people. Mm. And so I think there are so many opportunities out there with social media to hear all the successes that everyone has. And to feel jealous of them because it's like, man, everybody has it together. And this person is doing, they're able to write a book and have a podcast and lead a family. And I mean, all these things. And you think, why can't I do that? And so, you know, the, the struggle that we had when we, after we came to Lifeway and got out of the pastoral ministry and realized a lot of our brokenness, I mean, and he can explain that, but we went through that year long journey of counseling and are still, still in it, but it has been about a year. And we just realized there are so many people out there that are, I mean, actually almost everybody. I mean, you know, they, everyone has their brokenness. And so we just wanted to represent that side of the story of, you know, who's out there that feels really sad? Who's out there that's really lonely? Um, and so, and especially those in pastoral ministry. Being vulnerable is different than being transparent. Uh, we're learning that. Being transparent is when you're being honest. Being vulnerable is when you're being so honest that you're giving people enough information to hurt you with it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. pastors, we think, really struggle with that level of vulnerability, but that's where intimacy comes from. We think these conversations about the glass house stuff is, is giving people permission to be vulnerable about the challenges of being in ministry. And there are there's there's just so many people out there right now, I'm sure you know, who are thinking, I'm not sure I can make it in ministry. Uh, I may be looking for a change and we're trying to give them hope and encourage them in the process. Yeah. I mean, the, and the title, the glass house, because those in ministry know this, I mean, within your house, everybody, there's very few job careers that people have um, so much like view of what you do. I mean, you know, a lot of people, like for instance, if you're a banker, very few people care where you send your kids to school. But if you're a pastor, you know, they have opinions on whether you do public school or private school or homeschool. Um, and so, you know, that it's just that kind of imagery of, you know, people have a view into your house, you know, and into your personal life. So that's how we came up with that title a little bit. That's good. I mean, we didn't come up with it, but, you know, it, you've heard that's that. how it emerged. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Lindley, before you guys got into ministry, did you know what to expect as a pastor's wife? Were you prepared? Did you have anybody pouring into you? Like, how did you approach your role as a, a pastor's wife? So I, I didn't know when we got married, he was not in ministry. That was not on the radar. 
And I wasn't upset by it, but I mean, honestly, someone else asked me this question. I was so naive. So I was 25 when he got um, elected to his first pastoral role. I guess that's how you can say it. Um, and it was, we have a really unusual story and we had two babies at that point. And so I, I mean, we were really like, oh, great. Like, this will be good. I mean, what do I do? I don't even know what I, I was supposed to do. And I think the thing that I've learned is that there is no, there's no specific role for the pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think you can even be prepared for it in some ways, because at every single church, there's a different expectation of what the pastor's wife should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think we get into places of, um, or just problems when we believe that there's a set idea or set standard of who, of who a really good pastor's wife is, because what I was at our church in Jackson, Tennessee is not what storyline needed in Denver, Colorado. Hmm. And so, you know, you just talk about flexibility again, like you just have to ebb and flow with what the church needs in, in some ways. I think the great lie of the enemy these days is that there is a mold for pastor's wife when there is no mold. So we hear pastor's wives yeah. say all the time, I don't think I fit the mold. That assumes and implies that there is one. Wow. And Almost every pastor's wife we know says, I, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> I never dreamed I'd be doing this. This was not my vision for my life. And yet this is where God's called me. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. And the last stat I saw about Georgia Baptist churches, there's 3,500 of them. And over 50% of them are either bivocational, multivocational, or single pastor staff situations. And what's the, what we've learned is a lot of them, most of them have come into this and pastoring was not on their radar when they got married. So this discussion we're talking about, man, that's just that's just gold. Thank you for sharing that. Now, um, Elizabeth and I, I would say, are in the, the best season of our marriage. Relationally, um, we talk about this often. We absolutely just love where we are, even with the moments of the intense discussion. I like Elizabeth's face during that. Yeah. Sure. Uh, like, oh, we are? Are you okay, sure? Great. <laughs> Are there, are there bad days to come? I mean, what do we, <laughs> no, what do we no. Mean? But it was, I mean, early on in marriage, they, they were good, but there were some really hard days, hard. you know, but we, you know, it's great. And, and um, Ben, I don't know if this is like for you, but my best sermons and some of those great nuggets that God gives me, I don't know why it can't be at 9 a.m. in the morning. It seems to be three or four o'clock in the morning and I roll over and have to write it down or something. True story. 4 a.m. this morning, I'm woken up by the light on his phone. And so he says, hey, are you awake? I'm like, yeah, I'm now awake. No, I am now. What about this? And he says, massive steps of faith in Christ can create deeper walks of intimacy with your spouse. And I wasn't ready for that big thought, you know, at 4 a.m., but at this point now, it, it, it's sounding good. But Well, I thought it was incredible. I was just like, the Lord just woke me up, and I'm just wide awake, and I had this thought on my mind for this broadcast today, and I was thinking, is this as cool for you as it is for me? And like, what wasn't. do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, yeah, that's good. And she just went back to sleep. Yeah. yeah. So funny. only happens three times a day at our house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone. Okay. All, You're not alone. all the time. So here, here's my thought, my question. Have there been moments when you guys struggle? Because we're talking about the glass house and, and we're vulnerability and being honest about relationships to where we are. I've listened to you guys talk through this. So have there been moments when you've struggled relationally with all the pressure? And if so, 
what would you say to the thousands of people who are going to watch or listen to this who are in the exact same situation and they're going to have struggles with their spouse um, and relating within their church and maybe some of them even suffering from depression or even anxiety or any thoughts that you guys would share? I think there's two kinds of struggles in marriage and uh, one is really healthy and one is not. When we set out to plant, you talk about a massive step for Christ. When we resigned our church in West Tennessee, moved a thousand miles west to plant a church in Denver together, that stress and pressure drew us together because we were in it together. We were fighting in the battle together. We, you know, foxholes make friends. So we were in the foxhole together. When we came to Lifeway, it was completely the opposite and it was my fault. I kind of took this thing on my shoulders and said, hey, Lindley, if you'll help the kids get settled, I've got to get to Lifeway and figure out what we need to do to stabilize and move forward. Actually, and that's not at all what he said. But well, I didn't say it, but I wanted to say it. He, I, he didn't say that. That was the problem is that we said we were coming here to Lifeway together. You know, we were going to do this together because that's all we knew for the past six years. And so we got here and I was waiting for that togetherness. And he took off. I mean, you know, just took off. And I was like, well, what happened? I mean, and he, he didn't say all that, but that sounded good. Well, but through the, through a year of counseling together, I learned that Lindley kept using the language of abandonment, which I was like, you crazy? Like you think I'm abandoning you? I'm home every night, you know, kind of, Mm -hmm. but I really did emotionally detach from her as I took on this, this Goliath. Mm-hmm. And it, it created a huge wall between us because I was carrying too much in the flesh. I was not involving her in the pain and the struggle and trying to, in my own way, kind of protect her from it, but in the same time, hurting her with it. So one of the, one of the things I guess what I'm trying to say is in ministry, stress and struggle is a really good thing when you're dealing with it together. Yeah. Uh, many pastors and wives don't have good communication like we didn't have. And so it becomes the church becomes a divisive thing in their marriage rather than something that brings them together. Would you add anything to that? I mean, I think I would just add and it's so simple. I mean, so, so simple, but try to find help if you I mean, your marriages. I just I just can't stress enough how much the counseling helped us. And so I know that there's kind of the stigma around it with therapy. And we've talked to people and they've said, you know, maybe, yeah, we should, we should get in a couple of sessions. Um, but I mean, it took us a couple of sessions. like a long time, <laughs> I mean, a long time to even start getting to some lower levels of, you know, of hurt and things that came back from like childhood that, you know, that we didn't even know were like bringing, causing some of the problems. And, um, and so I just, I mean, I just would recommend it so much much even in small towns like there are zoom options which i know is not ideal because it's hard i mean in a small town and a small church pastor when everybody knows each other you don't want to go to the to the one counselor in town because it's it's hard i mean you know your pride prevents you from that so but there are options and i think too just in in regard to the um discussion of depression and anxiety i mean i've heard that there are some pastors who will not allow their wives to go to a counselor because of the repercussions that it could have for his job, you know, right. that where it looks like their family or their marriage is unstable. And so he's concerned about the longevity at his church. And so, yes, it may be that you have to even pull from someone outside of the church, outside of your small town. Um, but I, I'm a big proponent knowing how I battled depression and, and anxiety myself. 
Um, counseling is super important. Medicine is sometimes just something that is important, just like um, a person who is diabetic or a person who has cancer, they need treatment, you know, and as much faith as we may have in the Lord Jesus, he also says, here are some great options that I put in the heart of man to be able to help you. And so I think that that's something that, um, you know, as women, sometimes we put all our hope in our husbands that if you would just do this, this, and this, I'll be better. Um, But as a man, he can't do that. It's not his job. So I've got to make sure if I'm the person um, who is struggling with that, that I take the responsibility. Hey, I need to go see a doctor. I need to see a counselor, but I'm involving him in that struggle so that we work through it together. Yeah. And what, what I found important, which is hard for me because I'm a fixer, was that she needed me to love her and to listen and to be with her, but not necessarily to do for her. And, um, and that was that was hard because I do, I like to put my hands in the middle of it and make it right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lifeway research is telling us a lot of things right now. One is a study done of pastor well-being that we just conducted, getting ready to publish that is that 75% of pastors right now, their greatest discouragement is their church members are not committed. Mm-hmm. So what's happening right now with pastors is, and pastor's wives, is there's some resentment setting in of, hey, I'm in it to win it. I'm all in. I'm still here every Sunday. But I'm looking out on social media and seeing that even my best people are opting out of a lot of things they used to opt in. And so it's creating a fantasy of escape. And so more and more pastors are struggling with the endurance piece of, should I stick with it even in this hard season? And this is where I think it does expose the frailties of our need for approval, our need for um, people to subscribe to us, rather than the faithfulness of the call. Mm, That's good. Counseling can help you get to the root of that. Yeah, I think, Elizabeth, you said something that was scary in that when pastor's wives say that their husbands can't do that because of the repercussions. I mean, you know, it's one thing that we've learned in counseling is just talking about, you know, what is scary, what is fearful. And that it makes me scared because a pastor's first role is to his family. And, you know, so he can create this really great church that's completely wonderful from the outside. I mean, but look at how many people have fallen. I mean, that's kind of our that's when I talk about the underrepresented is because we have this massive amount list growing of people who that we we say is really great. I mean, we, we, we perceive as really great and then they, they fall right. and, and it happens. And so it's like, gosh, it scares me when we talk to women whose husbands won't go to counseling. Cause I think, well, you're, you're just, you're asking for a, a hard future. Mm-hmm. Right. And how can you win in the church if you're not winning at home? Because that is your, that's your foundation to be able to succeed. If he's not doing well at home and I'm not supporting him in that he is not going to do um, the best that he can at work you know mm-hmm. or so. you can't it's just fake yeah yeah it's not I mean, true. It's, right i mean it's inauthentic and you know and when you hear about that kind of stuff it's really hard right. gold nugget number two that we stole okay. is success is when the people who know you best respect you most mm. and that really is an application of first timothy three where a pastor should manage his own household well Mm-hmm. If the people who have the most access to you aren't influenced by you, that should be a red flag to you as a person that I'm not leading the most important people well. Now, 
obviously there's lots of grace there. We don't all have control over the actions that our kids take. (laughs) There's got to be some balance in that. But I do think this is a good season for pastors to stop and think, okay, how is my family doing? How's my marriage? Maybe I could dig in there. It's a good, good place. It is. And Ben, one of the things that we have been talking about a lot since we moved to Georgia, because our life has just been completely so turned upside down from a two years of building our forever home in Louisiana. And literally the weekend we were supposed to move in that house is the weekend we moved to Georgia. So we never actually lived in the house. And just as all of that, we got here and I was kind of in the mode where you were, where it was hit it hard. I got to earn my way. got to know, yep. you know, all this sort of thing. But we stopped making, <clears throat> we stopped making memories as a family. Yep. So we have been talking about, you know, yeah, we, we could probably save an extra 50 bucks if we don't do this or, or whatever. But we are, man, we're, we're tracking waterfalls and now we're going to places with the boys and we're trying to create these memories. But it's reality, man, I've had 10, 10 or 12 people die in our circle since last November of COVID. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, I mean, our, we may not get to those beautiful years in our 80s where we watch grandkids and great grandkids. So man, we're going to make memories now as a family as best we can. So it's really good. Let me uh, let me transition here and in, uh, in, in let's hit a, um, a, a bonus round with you guys and we'll start landing the plane. All right. So this is our real life bonus round. First thing that comes to mind, Elizabeth reminded me that our children and parents may watch this. So I can't say some of what I want to say right. to you. but. Um, so let's jump in here. Elizabeth, you got the first one. Okay, Ben, how do you keep your um, relationship with Lindley fresh and a priority? Mm-hmm. Uh, answer is it's not always fresh and it's not always a priority. <laughs> That's the real answer. To be honest. We, we have a very human relationship. It's ebb and flow. We have great weeks. We have bad weeks. Uh, when we're in our healthiest place, we're spending a day a week together. We are, we're going out and exploring. We found a great fried chicken place here in Nashville that <laughs> is like a meet and three and we're the youngest people there, but we love it. Yeah. Um, when we were church planners, we would try to take a day off the other and work out and go find something new in the Denver area. Right. But I just want to be really clear with you. Like I, my scorecard as a husband is amazingly inconsistent. Hmm. Uh, the grace of God that I received through Lindley is so important for our marriage. And I don't, I don't want to be on the hook for being the perfect husband who offers the perfect date every week, but I do, I do want to continue to fight for our marriage and be sensitive to when we are in a a season of struggle to do everything I can to work us, you know, to, to find the proactive steps to get out of it, which counseling has been a huge piece of that. It really has. Really cool. Lindley, any thoughts from you on that? I mean, I agree with what he was saying. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Ditto. 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 Um, No, I mean, we we really do try to get away. I mean, that's the beauty of his job at Lifeway now. I mean, being outside of the local church, he travels a lot and I'm able to go with him. And that's the beauty of having teenagers is that they they are a little more stable at home without us. Um, we have a really great neighborhood. We walk around all the time and just pray. I mean, because we seem to never be able to get away from like listening ears. And so, you know, we will literally be having a conversation on the couch and someone from upstairs is like, oh, where are we going? You know, and we're like, how did you hear that? So we go around our neighborhood. I mean, we we we, we try our best. We, we truly do try to be best friends. We don't always honor that, but best friends are 
you know, whenever there's good news or bad news, the first person you tell is your best friend. Uh, We try to stay on top of that. There are times when I break that rule and I've told somebody else and I realize I just broke the rule. Uh, But we do try to make sure that the other person is the receiver of the most important information and we are sharing at a heart level on a regular basis. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Your most awkward moment that you've had with your children. Well, I mean, Ben had one with a family devotional we were doing, but for, I mean, one awkward moment is that we had not talked about talking to our children about our counseling journey. And we have some family baggage there that, you know, so I, one day he was up at work, of course, when we began our first session. Um, and I was leaving the house and my daughter, you know, just said, well, where are you going? And I said, well, we're going to start some counseling with, you know, with a professional counselor. And she was like, oh, that's great. You know, tell me about it when you get home kind of deal. So, but, but I didn't tell him that. So when we got home, she was like, well, how was counseling? And, you know, it was awkward because he was like, how do they know? (laughs) And I said, well, because they need to know, I mean, they, they've heard us fighting for a year. And so they need to know that we're, we don't want to be fighting and that we, we we want to move forward through this. So I was a little humiliated because I didn't want our kids knowing that we were going to counseling. I was completely wrong about it. Yeah. Uh, She was right. It's been a really healthy thing to talk to them about it, but you know, a man's pride is a powerful thing. And uh, I'm grateful now that we've, we've included our kids in that journey, but yeah, it was hard that the family Devo awkward conversation is, I have a lot of shame around family devotions. That's actually a hard question for me because I can stand up in front of a group of adults and I can, I can keep the room. Yeah. I cannot keep my four kids attention for 10 minutes. <laughs> One morning we decided to have family devotion and I thought I had a pretty amazing insight to share. And I looked around and everybody's checked out and I just flipped out. I mean, all of my wrath came out oh, yeah. and they still talk about the day that dad went postal at family <laughs> but i came back later that afternoon and it actually produced this is where conflict can create intimacy i was just like guys look it's important to me that i'm communicating biblical truth to you guys and i don't feel like you're listening and i feel a lot of shame that i'm not teaching it right or i'm not making it interesting like you help help me out here and it ended up them, they had a lot of mercy on me in that moment and it, it brought us closer. So I do think that sometimes things have to explode before they get better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tell Elizabeth, those are the moments where I feel like she's going old Testament on our boys. When she had that. <laughs> and, um, you know, anyway, all right. So what's our next one here? You'll have to tell me more about that. Okay. Um, so Lindley, what do you appreciate most about Ben? Well, I mean, what drew me initially to him is he's fun. Mm. I mean, I'm not fun when we do all these assessments, like he gets all the fun gifts and I'm like the disciplined structured person. I'm like, I want to be fun. And so he is really fun. Like he brings a lot of that to the house. And even, I mean, our kids are very structured and scheduled, but like, if it were up to just me, it would be like the most boring household ever. And, um, and so he, he adds that element to it. And then also, I mean, he's just very, um, courageous. I mean, I just think, you know, that's one of those things I really love about him is that we, together take a lot of courageous steps you know I mean it's kind of like we have one life to live and why why play it safe you know if the Lord's calling us to something then we should do it I mean because there's clearly a plan in it and even in this point I mean it's taken us two years to even one like 
begin to think that we're here for a reason, like instead of just grieving our past life. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's good. It's good. I call it the Doff. Should I tell him about the Doff? Yeah. But sometimes Elizabeth gets the Doff title, which is destroyer of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one who's trying to have a. I mean, every day should be a party. If you're not having a party, yeah. something's wrong. And and she yes. she brings us back to earth to make sure we're all right. So, all right. So Ben, go ahead. Well, I you know opposites attract. I mean, I admire Lindley always finishes what she starts she's a finisher she's great at execution she can't remember a workout that she started and didn't finish the whole plan she's reading through the whole bible this year just finished the old testament and i wish i was that way i so admire the way that she keeps us on track because i can chase so many rabbits and having a great time in the process well like when he was a pastor he would come to me and say i think i'm going to do an eight-week series and i'm like you should go for <laughs> i know <laughs> I know that past four, he's going to be like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. This is too many. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, we laugh. Well, I think of the, honestly, from a spiritual level, it's the, it's the spiritual gift of faithfulness. Mm. Uh, Lindley has the gift of faithfulness. Like if she says she's going to do something, she's going to be faithful uh, and she's going to follow through. And that, that, that occurs in a relational level to you, but also a professional level. That's why she was so great at, as a director of kids ministry, because she would start things and she would always see them through and people appreciated that. Ah, That's awesome. So good. So Such good. a good quality. Well, Hey, how can we connect with you guys on social media? Um, how can we find the glass house podcast? Y'all tell us about that. The glass house can be found at anywhere you find podcasts. Just Google the glass house, Ben and Lindley. We just finished the first season uh and recording it we're recording yeah, it that, and so. it really focuses each episode is on one of these core emotions that pastors and wives struggle with like there's a whole episode on anxiety and a pastor a well-known pastor fear. named yeah fear dean talks just about his struggle with anxiety as a pastor and how humiliating it is to be an anxious person as a pastor so we're kind of walking through these emotions mm. that real people called pastors and wives feel and that's been that's been pretty cool uh, so other than that, you can find us on social media on Instagram in those places. And you, um, disclaimer, you're going to be really disappointed by my social media. <laughs> 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 I, um, I'm not one of those that is good at stories or anything like that. So if you want to see pictures of our children or dogs, you're good. That's, that's Go it. Go awesome. There. Well, look, Ben, Lindley, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks for all you're doing to serve churches across the globe. Dr. P.J. Dunn, thank you for producing today's show. And I want to remind you, our listeners, that we are only able to do the broadcast because you guys give generously to the cooperative program. So thank you for doing that. And I pray that today's discussion with the Mandrells and with my wife, Elizabeth, inspires you to think beyond borders, to love your spouse well, and equips you to make world-impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. 
For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.